You are listening to Coffee and Consent, episode 14. I'm Alicia. And I'm Nikki. And this is the podcast where we discuss autonomous birth, medical freedom, conscious parenting, and more. Here we go. Today on the show, we're talking about in vitro fertilization, surrogacy, transgender ideology, and where they all intersect, which is transhumanism. We hope this episode is an eye-opening one, and we encourage you to visit the links in the show notes for more information on all of these topics. We'd also like to personally thank Jennifer Billick, Isabella Malbin, and Jennifer Lal for all of the work that they're doing in these areas. It's very needed and very impactful. Please be advised that we will be discussing adult topics, so maybe put on a pair of headphones if you have little ones around. Enjoy. And this isn't a judgment. Like, my, you know, hospital midwife caught my baby too. Like, it it happens. It's the norm. And it's still, when you think about it in terms like that, like you're birthing your baby into someone else's hands and then they give the baby to you. Yeah, hospital nurseries where you send the baby away for a certain time, NICUs, which of course NICUs save lives, but the the idea that there's just this room of babies separated from their parents being cared for again by the medical industrial complex is unsettling for a lot of people. Um, but babies are also sent to the NICU for no reason. So. Or monitoring. Yeah, when one good example, with that is like, if you, if you deny the GBS screening or you deny antibiotics with a positive result, your baby is automatically taken to the NICU for observation. Same with like gestational diabetes. They're going to take your baby to monitor, you know, quote unquote for this, this, or this. It's really about disconnecting the mother baby. Like all all of those hospital practices are. Um, So yeah, another expression of transhumanism is this idea of being able to digitally download your consciousness in order to avoid death. So this is a topic that they discuss in the book. Um, It's by Martine Rothblatt, who is a male autogynophile billionaire, which we'll talk about what autogynophilia is. But he wrote the book I know that's like too much to handle. You guys should see it. It's like, it's like, it's like heebie-jeebies. Yeah. So yeah. So in his book, um, his book is called From Transgender to Transhuman. And he lays out very plainly that tra- accepting trans, trans ideology, transgender ideology is a necessary but convenient stepping stone to accepting transhumanism. Like they're out there in the open with this. This is not a secret. This what is a act. revelation. Yeah, no, so they're like, no, this people, is it. Yeah, for all the people out there listening that are putting their pronouns in their bios, okay? Yeah. And, and peddling, supporting this nonsense. Yeah. You are a tool. Yeah. I'm sorry to say, but yeah. you are. Well, and they, they've done a very good job and we'll go into, there's more, um, information that people like Jennifer Billick have, have put out, which is phenomenal, but, but yeah, they're, they're very brazen and out there in the open. It's not a secret that they believe that accepting and believing that there's no difference between men and women is the way to believe that there's no difference between humans and robots. So like, that sounds like really out there and like, of course there's a difference. Like, how could we, how could we ever get to that point when we think there isn't a difference? People probably said that about men and women. You know, how could people not understand that there's a difference? And there are people out there who claim to understand that there is a difference. Of course, they're lying. We all understand that there's a difference. But that cultural acceptance of the lie that there's no difference between men and women is how we get to this mesh with technology. So one of the examples laid out in Martin Rothblatt's book is this idea of like virtual interaction. So you would like log on, you'd, you'd slide into your suit, like it's literally a skin suit. You'd log on and if someone in their virtual reality wanted to give you a hug, 
the suit would compress and release a heat feature to feel like a hug. Like it's literally the goal is to eliminate human interaction. It's almost like a warmer in the hospital with a newborn baby. Exactly. It's almost like we actually have something to perform this function that does it better, but we're going to put in the technology instead. It's, it's a lot to unpack. Have you read the book? Have you read this book? I haven't. I listened to an analysis um, that I'll link in the show notes. It was really good. It was on um, Isabella Melvin's podcast. Whose body is it? Yeah. Um, Is this one of the ones you sent me? I think so. Okay. I didn't listen. Okay. I have the, the analysis is by Athena and her handle is wild willing wisdom. She's the one who shared the transhumanism in the birth, in the birth space post that you and I both, both shared. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll share that to our page when we release this too, because it's a really good post. She, she lays out several of these things, um, and how they relate to implementing transhumanism. Um, so yeah, so with the Martin Rothblatt piece, and I'll link the analysis for, for his book that Athena did. Um, I'll link that in the show notes too. Um, but one piece that I think a lot of people aren't aware of uh, is the pharma connection. So Martin Rothblatt is again, a male um, who has transitioned to whatever extent to try to be a female. Um, And some of the people that he runs with is the Pritzker family. So I don't know if you've heard of them or Mm -hmm. know their place in the, in the Obama connection. So do you know about this? Yeah. And they're, they're deep with the Gateses too. Oh, I bet. I don't have a doubt. Yeah. So for people who don't know, and Jennifer Billick lays this out again, I'll link the episodes that I've listened to of hers. Um, And she has an article where she lays out the connections between all of these different billionaires and their pharma connections with the trans agenda, because that's who's running it. It's not a grassroots movement. It's not, you know, trans identified people saying, we want these rights and these rights and these rights. Like this is a completely fabricated orchestrated movement fueled by the porn tech pharma, like collaborative. So the Pritzker family is way high up in the pharmaceutical industry. And they found Obama when he was a Senator and paid for his campaign in exchange for trans bills. So that's why in Obama's presidency, you know, that's when the first topics of like shared bathrooms at schools came up, you know, and it was just like these little, little previews to what we have now, because if in 2008, you'd say sex doesn't exist and we're going to, you know, start transing kids, everybody would have been like, no, stop. And of course, if anybody had known that a pharma family was literally like, puppeting presidents to make this happen everybody would have been obviously alarmed but it was slow and it was subtle and it was behind the scenes on purpose you know of course like why would they they're smart they are they're stupid but they're smart yeah (laughs) yeah very smart so yeah so there's the the pharma connection that i think a lot of people are missing and um with the pharma conversation the vaccines and autism piece comes into play here. And there's another really good episode on Isabella's podcast. This is just a plug for her podcast (laughs) for anybody who is wondering. It's a really, it's really good show. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, no, there's um, Robbie Rose. She works for um, Kennedy's foundation, but, uh, but yeah, so in her episodes, it's a two part series. She goes into like, the gaslighting that she experienced when her child is vaccine injured, um, which led her down, you know, the vaccine rabbit hole as it does for a lot of mothers, um, whether they have injured children or not. So in my case, I don't have injured children. My children are not. The reason why I'm 
involved in this or interested in this, but for a lot of people, that's unfortunately and sadly the, the push, you know, to get them, um, to think more critically about things. Mm -hmm. So in her episode, she outlines, um, a possible, you know, theory, which I think is a valid one, which is the harms that come with injecting male DNA into females and female DNA into males because of the cell lines that are in vaccines. So that's where that piece comes in. Plus there's a huge connection between autism and confused sexuality. So in Robbie Rose's episode, she outlines like the, I think it's the first documented autism case was shortly after the act in 1986. The National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. But yeah, so the first documented autism case or the first diagnosed autism case maybe was shortly after that, um, or she, or the girl who was diagnosed would have been born shortly after that act was passed, but it basically the timing lines up and she talks about it in the podcast, but that that first case, um, the girl that was being diagnosed thought she was supposed to be a boy. And that very often kids who are diagnosed with autism have that confusion. And also that most trans identified people, because there aren't, there are not transgender people like and Alan, I'll clarify what I mean by that, which is that there are no men or males who were supposed to be females or whose, you know, internal doesn't match their external or whatever, like languaging people use around it. There are males and there are females and there are males who are confused and females who are confused, but there's no way to like go back and forth the way that the transgender agenda would like us to believe, right? So yes, there are people who believe that they are the opposite sex, but that doesn't make them the opposite sex. A male simulating a period, right? Will never be a period. It will never be a female's experience. It'll be a male's experience to whatever extent they have that experience. Like, and one illustration is to compare males and females on two parallel lines that will never intersect. You can have a male's experience, you know, getting fake breasts, chopping off your penis, drilling a hole in between your legs, whatever they're doing, that's still only ever going to be a male's experience. And talk about complete and total self-loathing. Mm-hmm. and self-hatred which is the irony because in those circles mm-hmm. a lot of the time it would be all about self-acceptance and you know body image acceptance almost to a fault but then your body if you don't like it just cut it up mutilate. like I don't I don't understand where right. that piece comes in self-harm mutilate it dissect it yeah but I mean that's that's the perniciousness of of evil right in our society 2008 like all this stuff just kind of slowly it's little little bits here and there little breadcrumb trail you know so people don't see the whole big picture unless you're really digging for it mm-hmm. and that's how it just sneaks right in and mm-hmm. then look where we are today mm-hmm. well and it's important to whatever you believe spiritually or or in terms of religion it's important to understand that these people are not the ones like coming up with this this is the devil's agenda. Absolutely. Like whatever word, you know, you use for evil, that's what this is. Like purely demonic seeking to eliminate what it is to be human. Human hatred expressed through all of these different things, child hatred, woman hatred, but that's what the goal is, is eliminating what makes us human. So, you know, the, the goal to eliminate sex through all of these 
different means, primarily the transgender ideology, but the goal to eliminate the male female sexual dimorphism of humans is done primarily through eliminating and consuming women because we are the means of life on earth. So if you're gonna go for a species, go for the females and the children, which that's, that's the goal, right? Is going for humans and it's expressed through going for women and children. So one of the words that I used earlier to describe Martine Rothblatt is um, autogynophile or autogynophilia being um, a sexual paraphilia. So that is a man who is aroused by or attracted to the idea of him being a woman because being a woman is the deepest humiliation that one could achieve. So it's not just, there's, there's this whole like subculture around like kink shaming, which is so absurd. Like if your kink is getting off to the degradation of women, then you should absolutely be shamed for that. You should be ashamed of that. Like it, it's not okay. And it doesn't, it doesn't stay limited to any other abusive women like watching porn. Like it's not just isolated to this one experience or this one desire. It's a fundamental hatred of women and belief that they are the lowest you can get. So that's what autogynophilia is. And they talk, uh, Jennifer Billick talks a lot more about that too. So I'll link more of her stuff. Um, but I'm sure we have all heard of Matt Walsh's What is a Woman, right? Yeah. Have you watched it? I have. You have? Yeah. You Did you? No, I haven't yet. I was like- Oh, you haven't? Oh my I God. I was like, oh, I think I might wait for James to come home. And then I was like, maybe I will just watch it on my own. So I've, but I've put it off, but, but what do you think of it? Uh, I thought it was really good. I, it's sad. Mm -hmm. It's really sad. Um, there is a, a transgender man on there who, who was born female and their story is just totally sad mm. against children being trans transitioned. Mm. That's, a, that's something that I think a lot of people would rather not talk about is yeah. that it doesn't seem to make a lot of people happier yeah well and I mean I mean right now there's no evidence to suggest that this like affirming you know whatever that is or or transitioning which again you can't transition sexes but you can change your body to look like what the other sex it's not, it's not even what they look like. It's, you know, again, your sex's version of it because it will never be the other. But there's no, yeah, there's no evidence to suggest that transitioning makes someone happier. What are the numbers for suicide for people that have transitioned? Aren't, aren't they, I don't know what the numbers are. Aren't they yeah. higher post-transition? I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I know people like Jennifer Billick probably know. Yeah. But, but yeah. And even the, the suicide threat of, if you misgender me, if you dead name me, I'm going to kill myself. Like that's an extreme position to put the other person in. If you don't do this, I'm going to kill myself and it's going to be your fault. That's extreme. That's intense. How do you deal with that? Right. Especially in real time all emotional manipulation psychological manipulation mm. yeah true hey you know i gotta add something in too yeah please i'm kind of going back talking about you know the the means of attack is through women and babies women and children and you were talking about you know v's and foreign human dna mm -hmm. and there's animal dna mm -hmm. in shots v's mm -hmm. and 
this whole movement, which it's under the guise of radical feminal, uh, feminism, which is a conversation for another day. And it's all about, you know, blasting the patriarchy mm-hmm. and toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. And what a better way to go after women and children than to get rid of all the strong masculine protective mm-hmm. men. Of course. It's, it's that too. Right. It's all connected. Well, and if, if women were adequately respected and protected and honored, then you couldn't attack them, right? So you have to attack men too, or men first. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah, going back to the eliminating sex by eliminating women by eliminating men, (laughs) it's all, yeah, I mean, it is all related. Um, Things like, you know, the situation in women's prisons and women's bathrooms. So in women's prisons in some states, I don't know about all states. I know in my state, if a man commits a crime and upon being arrested says, oh, I'm transgender, I'm actually, you know, my pronouns are whatever, um, and I'd like to be placed in a women's prison, he could be transferred into a women's prison. So rapists, murderers, child sex offenders, being put in women's prisons. And it's not even, not like it would be better. It might be better in the terms of of the worst of the worst, it might be better that if he lived his life, you know, actually believing that he was a woman, that would be different than a rapist who was arrested and put in a woman's prison who, who everybody understands, believes and understands he's a rapist. Like there isn't even a lie there about what he believes about his own sexuality beyond oh I'm a woman and so I want to be put in a women's prison so there have already been several instances of rape within women's prisons and the way that it's skewing the numbers in terms of women's offenses is really interesting so I think it's in Scotland I'll have to check one of the places where it's, you know, all sex-based distinctions have been thrown out and now it's gender identity distinctions. It's looking like women on women crimes are on the rise. Like that women are out there raping each other and murdering each other because the quote unquote women offenders are male. So you're already skewing the numbers. This is already gonna skew history and you're putting violent offenders in women's prisons to harm, to continue to harm women in real time. And then of course the bathroom piece is, is the same where it's not, it's not actually about a male who just wants to go to the bathroom in a women's bathroom. Like that person might exist, but they're being used by people who want to hurt women in order to gain access to women's spaces. It's again, like you're saying, the manipulation. But yeah, and even in the, you know, violating and pushing in on women's spaces where you're not wanted, that disembodiment and dissecting of women happens obviously. And what what I think the second half of this episode is gonna be about is the egg harvesting IVF surrogacy piece. But where the, where the trans, it's funny because you could be meaning transgender or transhuman because really they're <laughs> the same. But where that comes in with birth and with parenting is not only the egg harvesting and the IVF and the surrogacy and the artificial wombs, but even in the here and now with, this, you know, quote unquote, inclusive language and chest feeding. And I I don't even understand how people do the mental cartwheels to get around the fact that you're still only talking about women's experiences. You're just choosing not to say women. What do you have to add to that? Well, 
yeah, this this one kind of gets me fired up, to be honest with you. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's really um, disturbing to me to see birth workers and midwives peddle this kind of nonsense. Crap. It's yeah. crap. Yeah. And I mean, if I see that on someone's page, immediate unfollow. Mm-hmm. I can't take you seriously mm-hmm. because you are living in a delusion. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you know it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's the thing that is clearly so troubling to me is that, you know, it's bull crap, but you're going along with it. You are complicit in it mm-hmm. because you are afraid of offending someone hurting people's feelings which i think is absolute garbage mm-hmm. because facts don't care about your feelings okay well again with the manipulation i i really it doesn't matter right who cares it's speaking truth right well yeah and and this idea of in, including other people oh. which can only mean males like again we're a male or we're female So if you're talking about a female's experience, like giving birth to use quote unquote, inclusive language to include other people would be to include someone who doesn't give birth, which is a man. Like, right. And same with like the chest feeding. One of the grossest ones that's coming out is body feeding. Oh, whatever. Oh my gosh. Like it's so, oh, it's so gross. (laughs) Yolanda had to post on that. She's like, yeah, that's called cannibalism is body feeding <laughs> and hey that's that's another aspect of this right oh yeah we're going we're going there we're, we're gonna beat folks we're gonna be there strap on your waiters we're gonna yeah, be- there was a day that james and i were trying to figure out what to do it was like it was like super hot we were like oh we should probably you know find some indoor activities with the boys and whatever and we were looking at this one museum here in san diego and one of the exhibits was on cannibalism it was like, oh, how it's been, you know, how it's been expressed through cultures throughout history. And I'm like, how, how is this something that we're like talking about or promoting or acting is just like cultural diversity? Like, <laughs> it's so, it's so bizarre. The moral compass no longer exists. Yeah. There, there is, there are still things that are right right and wrong right it doesn't matter it doesn't matter (laughs) yeah you know with the language and stuff i think um birthing people still that one gets me i think that one gets me more than Mm -hmm. any of them it's just so Mm -hmm. it's gross Mm-hmm. it's stupid it's well and another component that a lot of people aren't aware of and again is discussed on Is- Isabella's podcast because this is what her podcast is about is is the trans agenda um and all of its expressions um but yeah one of the guests on her show was talking about the fact that birthing people isn't a new term new to us it was assigned to enslaved black women when they were being traded because they refused to even call black women women they were like a subcategory of birthers because well because women enslaved women were sold and traded for the purpose of reproduction like that was the only purpose that an enslaved woman would have served is a breeder So that term is intentionally dehumanizing and women are just throwing it around, slapping it on each other. Oh, I I don't need to be called a woman. You can call me a birthing person. And those are the same people that are crying about racism. Well, yeah. And, and finding racism where racism doesn't exist, fabricating racism where racism doesn't exist, but then also, you know, very legitimately talking about systemic racism within the system and and the maternal death rates with with black mothers and black babies and like you're talking about all of these same issues some of the same people who intentionally choose not to birth in the hospital because it's more dangerous because they're black are running around calling each other birthing person like it's so deeply 
offensive and upsetting. And they don't even realize that in their, you know, fight for their own empowerment, which I hate that word, but that's the word they're using. It's so inconsistent. It's yeah. I mean, it's all, yeah, it's all back and forth. It's all turned around. It's mm, upsetting. Yeah. That's a good word to describe it. Well, let's move into, we've covered a lot in, in only half an hour um, and just briefly touched on a lot of it. So maybe we will do a part two where we're diving into more of this, but let's spend the rest of our time on IVF and surrogacy because this is a topic that I've been asked to talk about, I've been criticized for talking about, um, and that we've been asked to talk about on the show. So one of the primary issues with IVF and with surrogacy is the egg harvesting component. So this is where neither of those things would exist if you didn't harvest the eggs, excuse me. So um, Jennifer Lal, is the person to, to seek out for all of this information. Cause she's done, she's done great work. She has the center for bioethics and culture based out of San Francisco. And she's done several documentaries on egg harvesting and surrogacy and even sperm quote unquote donation, but it's not donation. Um, it's the same as eggs it's selling. Um, and she talks about the risks involved with egg harvesting. And there are no studies proving that they're safe, but if you asked when you're going to sell your eggs, is this safe? They're going to say yes, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happens when they're getting ready to harvest your eggs is that the drugs you take, essentially the first few, it's only, it's only a few weeks long process, but you take drugs every day, which again are pharma drugs. Like it's all going to go back to that. Um, So you take the drugs, the first bit is to put your body into hormonal menopause. So that's already a problem, like, because the primary egg market is women in their twenties. And there are two different, this should, this piece should really speak to like the class issues with IVF and surrogacy too, because there are two primary Um, markets for selling eggs. The first is for reproduction and the ones that they're looking for are smart, pretty, athletic, educated, usually white. Those are for um, reproduction. So they're going to go on the market for other women to buy to either impregnate themselves or impregnate a surrogate. The other ones that they're looking for are for experimentation. And so those are purely incentivized by money. So the ones that are for reproduction is help a family be a family, you know, pay your college debt or loans or expenses um, because they're the ones that are going to college. But the marketing with them is, you know, do the right thing, help somebody be a family. And then the other ones that are mostly black and brown women targeted are for the exper- the experiments. And those are purely incentivized by money. Like make a few hundred dollars. You don't need that many eggs anyway. <laughs> this may or may not kill you, but we're not gonna tell you that. And you can be done in a few weeks, few hundred dollars in just a few weeks. Ooh. So the drugs put the woman's body into hormonal menopause and then like a light switch goes into what's called super ovulation in order to harvest the eggs. So normally a woman's ovaries are the size of an almond. And in some cases, when she's in the super ovulation stage, they're the size of a grapefruit inside her body. And that already like is so, so alarming and so disturbing. And the the ugly side of this that people don't want to talk about And women have died just from this practice 
There are no studies saying that these drugs are safe. One of the drugs, is it Lupron? One of the drugs involved in this practice is used, what is it for chemical castration? She was just talking about this on Isabel's podcast. Yes. Or for sterilization, yeah. Yeah, it's for sex hormone suppression. Mm. Yeah, so there are many, many pieces of this and, and layers that people don't see. So that's the egg harvesting side. Again, Jennifer Law is the one to, to seek out for more on that because she does have a lot and she does a really good job of compiling it all and, and talking about the ethics of incentivizing people to take risks because she said, there's nobody out here saying, oh, look at all these people on the organ transplant list for $500. If you'll just give us a kidney, this person could live. Like we understand the ethical dilemma with that. We understand that in a lot of other cases, we understand that incentivizing someone to take risks means that their consent is null. Like if they otherwise wouldn't be doing it, if it weren't for the finances, then they don't really want to be doing it. Same with prostitution. They don't want to be there, but they are because they need the money. You can't financially incentivize someone to harm themselves. That's not how it works. So that's, and, and again, with surrogacy, cause that's going to play into that too. Most women who do it are not you know, the sister who's just doing it for the sister. And I, and I talk about the, the issues with that on my Instagram, but most of these women are doing it for the money. And they'll say that like, they're not even doing it for the help of family be a family manipulation piece. They're doing it for the money. Yeah. So we also have to talk about when you're talking about incentivizing someone to take risks and selling their eggs, the component with incentivizing a woman to rent out her uterus so that someone richer than her, higher up than her on the, on the ladder of success or the ladder of finances or the ladder of whatever, that the people above her are asking to rent her womb because they're the ones who can afford it. Like these manufactured families are for the wealthy. Do you, do you see celebrities being surrogates for each other? No, you see celebrities using surrogates who for the most part are just everyday people. Hmm. So where the transhumanism piece comes in is the use of technology to override, you know, human limitations, like I said at the top. So an unfortunate reality of being human is being unable to create a family in the numbers or the ways that you want to, at least for a time, right? And it, and it happens and it's sad and, and using other women, either their eggs or their actual wombs is not the answer. So even in altruistic surrogacy, so-called altruistic surrogacy, there's still an expectation that the fertile woman will use her fertility to give someone else a baby. Would you like to speak a little bit to the primal wound that happens in surrogacy? Yeah. So, well, you know, it's like you always say too, you know, no one deserves a baby. A baby is not a commodity. A baby is not a box to be checked. I get it. The, the primal strong biological need to have children as a woman. I totally understand that. Mm -hmm. I've had three miscarriages. My very first baby was a miscarriage. I get it. However, to me, 
this is my personal opinion. Being a mother means sacrificing for the betterment of your children. And there's no way that if I were unable to have children, that I would rent another woman's womb and then take her baby from her. I deserve a baby. I want a baby. My feelings and desires for that baby supersede the baby mm-hmm. and the other woman mm-hmm. who is the, who is, may not be the biological mother, but she is the birth mother. She mm-hmm. is the only mother that baby knows. Mm-hmm. That's the primal wound. Mm-hmm. When the baby and the birth mother are separated, they both experience a type of death. Mm-hmm. That baby thinks that their mother is dead. Mm-hmm. Babies don't understand DNA and genetics. And they neither know nor care that this other family who paid for them to be created very much wants them, loves them. Sure. Spent, you know, 60 to $200,000 to get them. Like it's not, that's not what they care about. They care about the only home they've ever known being taken away from them. Their blood being made from the blood of their mother. So in this instance, and it, and, it, and it's interesting. Most of the in most of the cases with surrogacy, it's not even the intended mother's egg. It's an egg off the market. So it's still not even like like the egg matters more, which it doesn't matter more. But, but even then the intended mother isn't quote unquote, the real mother or the true mother. And then on the flip side with adoption, we're told all the time that, that with adoption, it's who, you know, who you're chosen by is the mother and that your DNA doesn't matter. So it matters in surrogacy, but it doesn't matter in adoption. And there are plenty of issues with adoption. And, and I talked about this on my story because that's a common piece that's brought up um, is, well, how is that different when a baby is separated from the birth mother in an adoption case? And that's because the alternative is abandonment or death. Like it's not ideal. And, and nobody is getting pregnant with the intention of giving their baby up for adoption. Right. And, and that does not, even though a baby or a child being put up for adoption may be truly the best thing for that baby, because like you said, you know, it could, it could mean abuse or death or whatever. There is still a primal wound there. Of course. That doesn't negate the primal wound. We all have to be cognizant of that. Right. In fact, the, the primal wound is, is about adoption. Right. It's not even about like the book and the, and the concept was developed by adoptee kids. Right who had experienced this loss and this lack of identity and this, this very painful reality of feeling unwanted. That's very painful. And so that's what the primal wound, the book and and the idea is actually about is adoption. It's not, it's, it's uh, applicable to a sur- to surrogacy and shows why surrogacy is even more harmful because you're doing it on purpose. You're fabricating and manufacturing trauma. You know, it's the, and what we're saying is not an attack on people. And we're not putting into question here, the love no. that the family would have right. for that baby. That's right. not at all what we're saying. Right. But it is about priorities. Right. And it is about putting things in the correct perspective. Right. And it is about taking into consideration. Right. The overall overarching well-being long-term for the whole life of that baby and the rest of the life of the of the quote-unquote surrogate mother Mm -hmm. yeah even if she can rationalize you know and and say her whole pregnancy oh well this isn't my baby like your body understands that it is and we know the limitations of the logical mind right the human the human logical mind of reason is so limited and really so incredibly arrogant yeah yeah, when your body feels and understands that that is your baby, it's it's going to respond in a primal way. You know, even just the desire to to hold and 
breastfeed your baby. You can't, you don't get out of that just because someone else paid you to, to carry your baby. And that's another component with the transhumanism is there's this push to professionalize all quote unquote gestational work. So it's again, with the, you know, sex work is work lie saying that, that these acts, these basic human functions of sex and birth aren't really worth doing if you're not being paid financially to do them. Um, well, and another piece with, with surrogacy and IVF both, um, is that it creates and perpetuates and, and increased dependence on the medical industrial complex. So most women who have fertility issues or issues getting pregnant weren't born with an inability to have a baby or, or a difficulty having a baby. They were more than likely injured in some way, more than likely by the pharmaceutical industry, either through shots or birth control um, and that's not obviously always going to be true, even in, in the Bible and throughout history, there have been women who were unable to have a baby for whatever reason, but that the answer to these injuries. So, so a common story is for a woman to be put on birth control when she's 14 to get off maybe five, 10, 15, 20 years later in order to have a baby. And then she's infertile you know, nobody really knows why, <laughs> because it couldn't possibly be the birth control. Well, there's a great solution to that. And that is do IVF, <laughs> which newsflash makes big fertility more money. So there's mm -hmm. no incentive to tell women, Hey, by the way, if you go on birth control, it might impact your fertility. But they deny that left and right. How yeah, many OBs and midwives yeah. are telling women of all ages at six week postpartum visits, yeah. hey, you know, you need to get on birth control. Oh, it's totally fine. You can have more babies. You just come off whenever you're ready, you know, blah, blah, blah. Get the implant taken out. That is just, that's bull crap. Yeah. Well, and even if, even if they did admit it, there's a great solution to infertility and that is IVF. Like it's still, it still goes back to them. Like it's still, you're, they're still making money one way or the other. So with doing IVF or doing surrogacy in response to infertility caused by pharma <laughs> is wild. So it's not only that they, you know, get you back into do IVF or surrogacy, which by the way, even in an altruistic quote unquote surrogacy dynamic where the surrogate isn't being paid outright to carry the baby, um, all of her expenses would still be covered because it, it, a surrogate pregnancy is very often very complicated and high risk. So, I mean, what is high risk, blah, 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 but it's often a lot more dangerous and often results in a lot more interference and intervention. It's usually written into a contract that the woman is going to have a C-section she doesn't have the right to say no to XYZ test even, and this is an interesting component and should show you the ways in which a surrogate mother when she's carrying for the intended parents is not her own. She does not own her body. If she doesn't wanna get a vaccine, the intended parents can say you have to anyway because you're pregnant with our baby. Or if she doesn't want an ultrasound, like, and, and they can dictate what she eats, where she goes, whether she has to quit her job, who she gets to have sex with. Like she is not her own person when she's pregnant with this baby. And, and another piece with the, I know I'm like bouncing back and forth because I'm, I'm going to circle back to the dependence on the medical industrial complex as well. But one piece where surrogacy differs from adoption is that there are no child welfare laws in place for surrogacy, which there are plenty of issues with child welfare that's a whole other component, but at least with adoption, everyone understands that that baby is still the mother's baby until, you know, in some States, 30, 60 days postpartum, she can change her mind. 
And everyone understands that, like it's painful for the intended parents, but everyone understands an original intention to give your baby up that shifts when you meet your baby or shifts at some point before or after the birth. And that, uh, that primal desire to keep your baby, everyone understands that with adoption and there's no room for that in surrogacy because legally the surrogate is in possession of the intended parent's property. So this is where a bigger piece of commodification comes in with the like literally buying and selling of babies and manufacturing of babies is that they're not even seen legally as a baby. They're seen as property. Baby doll culture. (laughs) Baby doll culture. The commodification of babies. You know, what you said about, you know, surrogate pregnancies having, you know, needing, you know, there's usually so many issues or, you know, it can, you know, heighten the risk, you know, risk Mm -hmm. in air quotes. You know, it's because the surrogate's body is going, what the heck is going on here? Yeah, her body understands. I didn't, I didn't conceive this baby. Yeah. What is going on here? And well, and foreign DNA in your body. I always think about Aubrey from um, the free birth midwife. Mm. And she says, it's like, you know, playing Frankenstein in a lab. That's mm-hmm. exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, and we, it, we get, yeah. you know, graft versus host in other organ donation. Like if you, if you have a donated organ, you have to be on drugs the rest of your life so that your body doesn't reject that foreign organ your body understands that this is not yours you know and in the case of a heart obviously like you do what you have to do in order to stay alive if that's if that's the path that you're on but we understand that that is a component with with organ donation or organ transplant and it and it's applicable to surrogacy that's why there's a much higher miscarriage rate with surrogacy is her body is rejecting a foreign baby. They don't know who this baby is. And, and with the transhumanism goal of overriding those limitations, you know, well, then maybe we'll just make an artificial womb who can't reject a baby with, yeah, with the goal of overriding human limitations. Um, so with the yeah increased dependence on the medical industrial complex, it's not just for the pregnancy. There's a much higher, my friend Allie told me, yeah, a long time ago when she was talking about having worked with kids on the autism spectrum that a lot of them or all of them, depending on the time, were IVF babies. And that's a piece that a lot of people, you know, aren't aware of or don't want to talk about is the issues that the babies have from having such an unnatural start to life. I mean, literally created in a dish, you know, and then injected either into a foreign body or maybe just, or just reintroduced, yeah. But okay, so I think that just about covers it. Was there anything else that we didn't touch on that you wanted to touch on? I don't think so. Okay. That was a lot. That was a lot, but we did it in an hour. We did. And it might piss some people off, but we don't care because it's the truth. Yeah. And if, if conversations like this weren't so, um, I don't know, taboo, controversial, all this stuff would be out in the open Mm -hmm. and then people would be properly warned. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. These conversations are good they, and they have to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, what, what you were going back to what you were saying about being upset that, that midwives or, or doulas or women who claim to be for women and walk with women and have deep, you know, respect and, and honor um, for the birth process refusing to say women (laughs) or, or wanting things like, you know, pelvic birth instead of vaginal birth, because apparently organs, the titles of organs like vagina, that's offensive or, or chest feeding instead of breastfeeding. It's, it's equally offensive 
when midwives or doulas or birth workers, um, you know, aren't, aren't understanding the realities of IVF and surrogacy and how deeply harmful they are to women objectively, even to the point where they don't understand the, the essence of surrogacy playing into, into basically what's human trafficking. Like it is, it is buying and selling of babies, even when the baby is, you know, really wanted and would be very, very much loved. It's still paying someone, whether that's a lawyer or the surrogate herself, like you wouldn't pay a woman to put her baby up for adoption, but you'd pay a woman to become pregnant and then give her baby up because we put a different name on it and that is surrogacy, you know? So yeah, equally offensive when, when midwives or doulas are super enthusiastic about surrogacy. My midwife, I didn't even remember this until I was preparing my notes for this. My midwife with Jesse was a surrogate for her brother. And I, and I, at the time, like I wasn't this interested in surrogacy or like this aware of the harms, but I'm Catholic and Catholics don't do manipulation of life. Like we don't do IVF. We don't do surrogacy. We don't do contraception. We don't do like basically anything, but the natural husband, wife, sex completion, that's it. So I, I understood at the time, like, oh, well, that's not really, you know, I'm not going to be super good about you having been a surrogate, but whatever. But that should have been, if I knew what I knew now, a huge red flag that my midwife was all, you know, pleased that she had been able to carry her. It was a set of twins. I think it was a niece and a nephew. And it was like, in hindsight, very, very weird. Yeah. I, I don't get midwives or doulas or birth keepers that support surrogate pregnancies. There's a disconnect there if they do, because mm -hmm. if you, if you support that, you're saying that the hormonal matrix does not matter. And the mother baby doesn't matter. And the mother baby. Yes. Like that, that's what that, it is. Then, then you're saying everything that her body does and the baby's body does to be united and to come into this world and to stay united for a minimum of two years, that none of that matters when you support these practices. And obviously, like we talked about in the baby doll culture episode, abortion plays into that too. You cannot understand yes. and love and respect the mother baby and support killing half of it. What's is the whole crux, I think, of our work. Right. You and I, I mean, together and individual, individually, is to how do we keep that? To me, that's what a true birth keeper is. How do you keep birth in its correct integrity? How mm -hmm. do you keep it as it's supposed to be? Mm -hmm. Not injecting yourself, not removing one of them, like truly protecting what it is for them to be one whole 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 yeah 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 because i mean either way someone's getting screwed mm -hmm. no matter how you look at it surrogacy ivf well yeah i think that just about covers it there's there's a lot more that we could say and maybe we will do a two-part but um yeah all of the, all of the assisted or third party reproduction, which even that term is so bizarre and telling like that it involves a third party to make a baby. And that there are people who don't see that as unnatural or as bizarre or as harmful like it's, it, it is the goal of, of overcoming human limitations. 
yeah, I say all the time about, you know, God created us to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. We are not wiser than God. Mm-hmm. We don't know better. All the academia, all the education you want, all the credentials, all the degrees, all the things, you still are not wiser than God. You mm-hmm. do not understand the human body and its intricacies. Mm-hmm. You don't. Like like a mother-baby bond, how could anyone ever understand that in its totality? Mm-hmm. But we are arrogant enough. Mm-hmm. You know, then you have some people walking around with primal wounds and mommy and daddy issues and everything else. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the idea that we can understand it and that that means we should do <laughs> harmful things with it. I mean, it's like the Jurassic the Jurassic question you asked (laughs) whether you could you didn't stop to ask whether you should right like yes you could create a human in an artificial womb maybe well and that goes into the with the IVF and surrogacy issue like we don't know what it's doing to these people how it's impacting humanity to be created in a lab or, or like in one case, where were, where were they talking about it? Maybe in one of the Jennifer Law episodes that I listened to, because I've listened to her on like two or three different platforms and I've watched, um, I think four or five of her documentaries now. She was talking about a situation where the surrogate mother was carrying a baby who originated as an embryo that was frozen before she was born. So she, so the, you know, say the woman is 25, she's carrying a baby who was frozen 30 years ago. Like this is very scary, uncharted territory. We have no idea what, what impact this is going to be having on humanity. And we just can't, yeah, can't take the time to, to stop and ask those questions. That's it for today, everyone. Follow us on Instagram at Coffee and Consent. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.